Good morning, Saints. I heard the streets was waiting on episode three. Well, guess what, baby? We here. Episode three is here, baby. How y'all doing, Saints? I hope y'all doing good. I am blessed and highly favored. Now, Saints, this week's episode is going to be amazing. I get to sit down and talk, or you get to hear me talk to one of my very, very close friends, Danielle Craig. Um, Now, Saints... Let me just get this on out the way. Danielle is really, really saved. So out of respect for her, I won't be cussing this episode, or at least I'm really, really going to try. Um, plus, she's putting this on all her socials, and I don't want to get her in trouble with the church saints. And, and you know, by the way, church saints, welcome. Welcome. Come on in. Have a seat. Now, this is a spot for the sheep that's not of the main fold. We hang out on the outskirts, but we we really know the shepherd. Can I get an amen? You get what I'm saying, saints? Welcome, welcome. I have a seat. So I just want to tell you a little bit about Danielle because she's an amazing person. She holds a bachelor's in business management from Eastern University. She is currently an educational counselor at Hoysatonic Community College. She's been leading praise and worship for over a decade. She's the host of her own annual worship experience, Hills and Valleys, the creator of the online community, God, My Child, and Me. This is a dope woman of God, and I'm just happy to call her my sister. I really hope y'all enjoy this episode, Saints. Good morning. Hey, Danny. Hey, Tom. (laughs) How are you, love? I'm so glad you're here with me. I'm happy too. I'm excited. I'm I'm pretty amazing. I'm pretty amazing. I cannot complain. So tell me about uh, the beginning of your motherhood journey. How did you find out you were pregnant? Were you excited at first? Um, how was your delivery and how did everything go post-delivery? Okay, so I actually had just finished a semester abroad in Uganda, Africa. Mm-hmm. And I came back and I must have went maybe two or three weeks before I got pregnant. Um, I found out a couple of months later and I will say it was not a happy occasion because I had to pick up an extra semester of school. So I was literally in my senior year of school. Um, I had to pick up one more semester to graduate and just a pregnancy was just not, not the move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a mm-hmm. time to get pregnant. Um, I told the father who had a child already. Um, And that already wasn't going so well. So for me to add this on was just, uh, he wasn't even here for it. Um, This was the only guy I'd ever um, been with. And uh, it was just kind of, you know, it was the man that I loved. It just wasn't reciprocated. So it just came with a lot of emotional turmoil. So just the whole roller coaster of him finding out and him staying to keep it, then not keep it. And then um, me having to go back to school and try to focus on my studies and graduate. Mm-hmm. It was just a lot. Um, so yeah, but I made it, um, maybe mm-hmm. about, I think with a lot of depression, maybe up to like the fifth or sixth month, I graduated college with my bachelor's in the seventh month, I would say. And, um, when I kind of came out of that depression, I remember I started to sing and dance every day to my baby just to kind of get to a different mold. Cause for that first maybe five months or so, I remember praying, like, God, please take me or take this baby. And I prayed that prayer faithfully every morning that I woke up. So when I finally broke out of that phase, I was just very intentional about singing to my child and loving on him as much as possible. But the time that we had left, 
And so um, when I had my baby, I remember, I remember feeling like um, he wasn't positioned correctly, but all the doctors kept telling me something different. Mm. And sure enough, when it was time for me to deliver, I went through my, um, through labor and I was fully dilated and something, it was just a whim. The, the doctor said, just wait a minute, let me just see, let's check the position of the baby. And the baby, sure enough, was coming down. He was folded up coming down the canal. This was right before I was getting ready to push. So I ended up mm. going into emergency C-section um, to deliver him that way. And and when he was born, you could see like because of his position, he really wasn't getting full nutrition. Um, and later on, I remember the doctor speaking outside of my um, at a doctor's appointment. I heard the doctor speaking saying that it was a um, oversight on the doctor's part. And so, wow. you know, thank God I'm healthy. Um, but yeah, um, wow. that's one thing I Okay, yeah. I and thinking about uh like my mind is just going now because I'm thinking about all the reports and stories coming out now about the US US's mortality rate when it comes to childbirth and delivery, especially amongst black women. So going through that um that experience and it, a doctor saying it was an oversight, um that that just blows my mind. Like it, it just blows my mind to know that. Black women really aren't cared for when we are bringing life into this world. It just blows my mind. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, yeah, I actually was going to put a pen there, too, because I thought about it. And I think about that when I think about having additional children. I just think, like, because I was young and because I was Black, they immediately made decisions for me. And they disregarded a lot of what I was saying. And I'm not, um, I'm not, I'm pretty well-spoken and I'm, I'm not dumb, but I still was treated as such, um, even up until delivery time. And, um, and even after having my baby, the aftercare, even in, in a, that little process, I saw the way they treated me because I was a young black mom. And, um, that mm-hmm. did stick out to me. Um, you know, and I just told myself I would never allow that to happen in any other of my pregnancies that I would know that I knew best. I wouldn't let them talk over me or make me think that I didn't know what was going on with my own body. So, Yeah. Wow, that that that's that's crazy to me. I just that's crazy to me. Um, so how how did things go post delivery? Yeah, so I after I had the baby, everything was. I mean, the the just carrying him uh, physically was was perfect. Um, after I had him, um, because I had the C section, that was just. And how did how did that go? So the C-section, I, I didn't feel it at all. I mean, I was just really under. Um, and when I came back, I, I felt like the recovery process was good, but I, I wasn't moving fast enough for my nurses. And I have a very high pain tolerance. I know this for a fact for different situations I've been in. And doctors look at me like, how are you even doing that? Um, so I have a pretty high pain tolerance. Even when I was in labor, I always, when I tell my labor story, I was, I was fine. I was <laughs> really chilling. I, I, I really, it was fine. I had a good nurse. I was breathing well. And I asked, they asked me if I kept, they kept asking me if I wanted to take any um, pain medicine. I was like, well, just tell me what the difference will be. And I said, when they told me, I said, no, I think I got it. And I just went the whole way natural. You um, didn't have an epidural at all. Well, I know they gave me something when it was time to have a C-section to put me under. Oh yeah. But I, yeah, no, when I was dilating and kind of doing, I didn't take any pain medicine at all. Yeah. 
black women are just superheroes. I just want to tell y'all that right now. <laughs> like black women are superheroes. My God, my God. Okay, so you had you had a C-section. Now, was a C-section a part of your birthing plan? Were you supposed to have a natural delivery? It sounds like you were supposed to have a natural delivery. And then, you know, they found out uh, Deb wasn't positioned the way he was supposed to be. And then you went into an emergency C-section. So mm-hmm. how how was that? So I will say like, because of the, I think my mental state, I didn't have a specific birth plan. I wasn't, I didn't go into it. Like I'm definitely going to take pain medicine or I'm definitely not. I definitely want to have a C-section or definitely not. I kind of just went in because everything was so smooth sailing physically. I didn't think I did a C-section didn't even occur to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was very disappointed when that happened. And, um, especially the way they kind of rushed in, um, it was Mm kind of just scary. Um, And at the same time we were waiting for the father to get in. He was, uh, several towns away on a job. He was a truck driver and we were waiting for him to get back. So it just seemed like a lot going on at that time. So it was disappointing. It wasn't part of my birth plan, but my end goal was just to have a safe delivery. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm, wow. Well, thank God Dev is here because, good Lord, that <laughs> just began of his birth or his journey into this world. But God had his hand on him since he was a bo- since he was born. So, I mean, Definitely. and that's just completely evident. What has been the most fulfilling thing about parenting thus far? Dev is, how old is Dev now? So my son is six years old now. Mm-hmm. And um, I will say before I became a mom, I was I was very adamant about not having children at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really interacted with children um, that much, not through a school setting, not through nieces and nephews or anything like that. So I was very, very green. And when I had my son, I was just thinking like, oh my goodness, I have to take this human home <laughs> to take care of him. And it was very nerve wracking. I did not have my own place. I was staying with my grandmother and um, it was just a lot of different opinions. And I remember Devin was about two weeks old and I remember hearing almost the audible voice of God tell me, I'll never forget it because I was, I remember what I was wearing, what I was doing. I was headed to um, clean bottles and like the voice just stopped me in my tracks and said, I've anointed you to be Devin's mother. And Mm. I thought I was crazy. And I listened again and said, I've anointed you to be Devin's mother. Everything he needs, I've placed inside of you. And that was groundbreaking for me because, you know, I was, I was, I, I heard it that day, but it took me a little while longer to really accept that and receive that and walk in it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I still felt very like not equipped. Also, I was an unwed single mother. Um, I grew up in the church. My grandmother's a pastor. So there was a lot of shame that came along with being an unwed mother. So I kind of was, I was very ashamed. So even when that Devin was born, March of 2013, when May came Mother's Day, I was telling people, you better not say happy Mother's Day to me because I still need to accept that I was a mom because of all the shame that came along with it. Um, You know, yeah, just. mm -hmm. And how, and, and. I'm glad you, you know, said that. How has the church been a part of your community in a positive way and been a part of your community raising your son in a negative way? Okay. So uh, I love that question. Um, So I've switched churches. I've been a part of three churches in Devin's lifetime. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I've had very different church experiences. And when I left the first church, I remember leaving and thinking, I can't stay here because I needed more for myself. I needed to be in a healthier place mentally for 
um, my son. And so I went to the next church. I will say, because I'm I'm talented and because um, I have a gift to sing, um, I was always encouraged to keep on singing after a certain point, um, you know, to keep, you know, pushing in that way. Um, but as far as support for my son, um, as far as like how to be a mom, I'm not sure that I had the best support mm-hmm. for how I knew I wanted to raise my son. Coming from a background that's very old school, uh, very legalistic in a lot of ways, extremely conservative. Um, and I have my my childhood, we didn't get into that, but my childhood just, I knew from my own childhood, there was just certain things that I wasn't going to allow to happen. There was a, I just had to do things differently. Mm-hmm. So as far as that way, I don't think I had the most support, but I did have like, you know, church mothers putting $20 in my hand here and there. Right. Um, they saw that I was not a lazy mom. I was a mom that always worked and always, um, you know, I would carry my son. If I didn't have a car, I would carry my son to 6 a.m. prayer. Um, and I walked to church. Um, so they saw me trying. And so, when you know, when you see somebody trying, you want right. to help you them. Help. You help. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Wow. That's, uh, I mean, that's beautiful to hear about the church being, um, you know, a community where you could have your child um, grow up and, and experience pretty much the culture of the black church, um, mm-hmm. even, even with the conservative conservative parts of it, um, they can, your child still experiences the culture, experience the culture of the black church. Um, yeah. And he loved it. He used to be praying for people, laying hands <laughs> on people. He used to shout all the time. I mean, he was sad when we left that church and we went, we uh, went from an apostolic church, a black apostolic church to a multicultural, non-denominational church. And I think he felt like this isn't church because where are the red pews? Like where are <laughs> the shouting music? The music is different. It just didn't hit the same. And so it was a bit of an adjustment. But what I will say is what I'm very excited about in our most recent move um, in the church that we're in now is that he gets to see a healthy view of family. Um, mm. before then, I remember, I'll never forget my son had asked me, he said, mommy, he said, what is, he said, men don't work. And I'm mm. like, he's like, only girls go to work. And I stepped back and I thought about it. Wow. <laughs> and yeah. his life, he sees the black woman going to work. Um, you know, he sees all these, the situation that he sees throughout is that the man stays home. The man is chilling and the woman get up and they go to work. They bring the, the kid to school. They go to work. They go to church. They do all this running around and the man is doing nothing. And once I saw I was building up that narrative for him just by our surroundings, I knew it was time to go. There was no way I was about to raise right. a young black boy that thought that black men or that men didn't work. Um, right. Because yeah. the Bible says a man that don't work, don't eat. And honey, you got to get up and go out and get yourself some food. You got to work, baby. Yes. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, but, I, but you know, it's crazy that it was his him saying that, bro, I didn't even realize. So I went situation by situation. I'm like, wow, that really is his reality. I can see mm-hmm. why he came to that conclusion. We got to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you have to put him in a, in a community that will show him, no, this is not this may be something that goes on in other communities and other places and, and people that, you know, have different situations going on, but this is what it's supposed to be. This is, this is the healthy environment that I want to create. Yes. When I went this church that I'm at now, I'll never forget. I went to one of their first conferences and the first two rows, it was from wall to wall, almost wall to wall. And there, it was full of married couples hand in hand, 
taking notes um, for the for the information that we were receiving. And I was like, wow. And now, now over like almost two years later, I can say like these marriages aren't perfect, but they're healthy, they're strong, mm-hmm. and they fight for it. And I needed to see that for myself too, to change my own narrative that, wow, this really does exist. Um, so I'm glad that he gets to see the family structure the way it's supposed to be. Um, and that, that kind of, you know, sets the tone for how I'm raising him. Mm, that's amazing. That truly is amazing. Um, and so we talked about the things that are fulfilling, but what are some of the challenges that you face being the primary parent? Parent. So everything from school, school homework, parent-teacher conferences, um, financial needs, um, down to like just everything about his life pretty much depends on you. So what are some of the challenges um, that you faced in in dealing with or or being the primary parent um, being, I don't, I can't remember how old you were when, um, when you conceived, but being a a young woman that just graduated from college, maturing and becoming, you know, getting to our thirties now, getting to your thirties. How has it been um, being the primary parent for, for this child? Yeah, well, it's been a roller coaster, I would say, <laughs> to say the least. Um, I graduated at 20, I was still 22. I conceived at, I, I had Devin at 23. And mm-hmm. so, you know, when you graduate college, um, some people get the luxury of kind of fumbling through, figuring it out, um, taking a minute. They have their parents. I graduated and I had a baby three months later. Right. Um, so that kind of changes everything. Um I was fortunate. I actually got a job um, as an admissions counselor right after graduation in January. Um, no, no, I got it in, I think, the end of February. And uh, I went into training. I think training was eight days since I went into labor on the eighth day of training. <laughs> <laughs> um, I went into labor. And so I got done with training. I went out on maternity leave. And I only, I think I might have took maybe six weeks. Um, I doubt, I don't think I took the full six weeks, but I took that six weeks and I went right back to work, went back to work. And I just, I don't know. It's like my life, everything was different once I had this baby and all of a sudden this job wasn't good enough. And I got, I was headhunted by a fortune 500 company. I, I seized the opportunity. And so my career has taken a bunch of turns because I panicked because I didn't have that stability. And I was always looking for what's going to pay more money. I need to make sure he's good. And I was always chasing the next thing. So that that really included a lot of job hopping, um, which I, I mean, older me now says that probably wasn't the wisest thing to do, but it was me searching for stability for me and my son. But I will say that instability we experienced, you know, not having our own place. We had our own place and we didn't have our own place. I had a good paying job and I didn't have a good paying job. And it's been like that for a long time. Also, you know, trying to just learn how to manage money, right? Because you get out of school and now you have this bachelor's degree and now you're able to make so much more money. And it's like, now I'm managing um, money that I didn't have before and learning how to do that. Um, I was the best. I had a lot of tripping and falling and it didn't just fall on me. It fell on my son because I didn't have a, uh, my son's father was not financially supportive. I did not have him on child support or anything like that. So it was just me. Um, And I hate to say it, but there were a lot of people in my life that really were secretly wanting my downfall. And so I, (laughs) Um, that limited my help too. So, but I will say is that joining the church that I'm at now, it really helped me to get to a place of stability for me and my son financially. Cause that's always, I say one of the biggest things first is like, 
you learning how to be a mother and learning that nobody else can tell you how to mother your child. And you have mm-hmm. to really stand against all the, uh, all the old practices and, you know, mm. like, like I don't beat my child and that's mm. something that I really had to defend <laughs> with. Well, yeah. Let's, let's talk about that for a second because you know, mm-hmm. we grew up in black, black culture and also the black church. Um, everybody got dragged to the bathroom once in their <laughs> life to get popped or to get a spanking or to get beat. Um, and I've been watching you. Like I've, I've known Danny for those of y'all that don't know, I've known Danny since we were like in college, like our freshman year of college. Um, so during this entire time, I have never seen her put her hand on Devin, maybe like a stern voice. Um, I've never seen her berate or belittle her child at all. And he's grown up to be six years old, this extremely articulate, um, just little man, little person. Like, it's like, sometimes I forget he's a a child because he just expresses himself so well because she's Mm -hmm. given him the ability to do that, to use his own voice. So how, how was that? combat combating the narratives of you know in black parenting and black culture a child is supposed to be quiet a child is supposed to mm-hmm. stay in a child's place how has it been even with your family and the church community um combating those those things that we consider cultural norms to mm-hmm. raise the and create a narrative and be i think some one thing you said before to me was intentional to be intentional about raising your son in the way that you want him to be and the man that you want him to be when he grows up Right. So I don't believe in good parents or bad parents. I just think there's intentional parents and there are unintentional parents. And so I decided early on that I wanted to be intentional about my son's growth. And um, I don't know when this happened. It might have been 2016. My son has had a few accidents very early in life um, that were life-threatening. Um, so at a certain point, I remember starting an online platform called Got My Child in Me. And the premise of this, um, I coined this term called co-parenting with the Holy Spirit. And I realized like my efforts to co-parent with his earthly father really wasn't working. So I was like, God, like you're my father. I need you to help me raise my son. And literally like I would sit with God. If it was something even like I need pampers, like I would just really rely on God to provide and to show me what to do. So it was a lot of sitting with myself, I think that it's easier to beat a child and it's easier to yell and scream. It seems simpler um, that way of parenting. But for me, I was, I took a lot of extra time to figure out how does this look like for me? Mm-hmm. Like for instance, you know, my son is, a lot of children are very um, inquisitive. So my son will ask questions and I made a decision. I'm not going to tell him because I said so. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm a big why person and I don't want anybody to tell me <laughs> because I said so. Um, there's a reason for everything. So I began explaining to him the reason. And I would say it again if he didn't understand that I would break it down. And I don't know, I guess it kind of snowballed from there. And I began giving him language to to be able to express himself. And now it's just kind of, now he's just taking it on. And he's just, I don't know, it's kind of beautiful to watch him grow um, with kind of the tools that I gave him in the beginning. But yeah, it was, it was hard. And I still have conversations with my family to this day, but now they see like, yeah, Devin's not the type of kid that you have to be because yeah, from early on, I just decided that's not the way we're going to go. I think that a big mothering mistake, um, one of my mentors says they try to raise their kids in the street. So what you implement at home is what's going to happen when you're out and in front of people. And so if you let your kid run rampant at home, 
once you get out in front of people in the store or um, at a gathering or at a function and they're being very inappropriate, now you're trying to reel them in. And they're like, don't act different now. This is what I do all the time in the car, in the house. And then (laughs) that's when the the parent gets embarrassed. And that's when there's a lot of yelling and beating and everything. And it's like, you can't raise your your child once you get in front of people. This is what this has to start at home. So I just think I was intentional about, you know, um, setting the tone at home. Mm-hmm. And it worked. Mm-hmm. How has it been with you being extremely intentional, raising your son, um, being the primary parent and the, you know, his father um, uh, not being so much, you know, I won't say he isn't around, but not being as intentional as He's you are. Yeah. Yeah. Not being as intentional as you are. And maybe his family not being as intentional as you are with raising your son. How has that struggle been? Or so, I think early on, um, I did a lot of overcompensating because I didn't want him to not have a relationship with his father. And so I would do little things like, oh, daddy called today. And I know good and well, daddy didn't call today. <laughs> or I would know daddy gave you this. And I would just try to make him feel a presence, even though it wasn't there. And at some point, and I know some single moms can can attest to this too. When your emotions are still involved with the father, it's just mm. so sticky. And I knew if we had any chance at really co-parenting, I had to remove those feelings. So that was a lot of inner work and self-work that I had to do. Mm-hmm. And because, as I said, this was the only person I had been with. This is my first love. It took a lot. And you know, Dom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my sisters know. And, um, you know, people that knew me back in the day, it, the thought of, I, young Danny couldn't even think of a life without life. Him. Like, without what does that look Joe? like? <laughs> like, I literally was like, life is over without this man. Yesterday, <laughs> today, and forevermore. Child. Yes. <laughs> so, just doing the inner work to separate myself was huge. But once I did, it changed everything. It's like I had on a new pair of glasses and mm-hmm. I knew how to operate. Even though I, I had, didn't have the feelings, I was still compensating. And so there was kind of this back and forth. Um, you know, if you allow it to be, there will always be in a revolving door with you and your children's father if you don't close it. And I remember this one of the first people I told that I was pregnant, she was like, oh, y'all will always be have this revolving door. She said, y'all will always be on and off. It'll always be that. And I remember speaking against that out mm. loud. Like, I thought, devil is a liar. That will not be me. Right. Um, and so I closed the door. And once I did, I realized, like, no, you're not going to try to control me through my emotions for you. So once I removed that, he no longer had that as leverage. Mm. And, um, and so I had did a lot of praying for him. And what God just put on my heart to do was to set the example for whatever sent through praying for him. I had so much grace over him because I realized he didn't have an example himself. And so I was expecting him to do something that he never saw. And I couldn't dwell on the, if it was unfair or not, I just had to do as a Christian. Now, this is where that part comes in where I said, I, I have to give him grace and pray over him that he will become an intentional parent and an intentional father for his son. And so I was, I, I was set the example, Dom, I would send text messages. He didn't call, he didn't text. And I would just send, Hey, just letting you know, Devin is doing this. This is his favorite color. Or he got a good report from the teacher or just kind of updating on what was going on with him, purposely keeping him in the loop. Um, sometimes I would even call and say, hey, what do you think about this? 
I could make a decision myself, but I wanted to have him get the feeling of being involved in decisions for his son. Um, and that's kind of the road I've been taking t- to this day, just right. set an example, not expecting anything, not being vindictive, um, just kind of, but I, what I will say in the last maybe year, I had to set stronger boundaries mm-hmm. for myself. I, I had to do that. And I think that, you know, as a mom, you'll keep learning what those boundaries look like. I had to set boundaries for him and his family. And, um, you know, they've been, for the most part, respectful of them. And so it's a work in progress. I would just say, again, just get your emotions in check and not be vindictive. Um, pray over your your children's father and pray for strategy. I believe every person in every situation has a strategy. Um, you just have to ask God what it is. Mm, mm, I like that. I like that. Um, being intentional, even when the other parent is not being intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a choice that has to be made, especially if you're going to raise your child in a different way that you came up. And so I think I want to go a different route from the uh, question that I had before. If you could create the perfect world for you and your son, what would it look like? And I ask that knowing, you know, knowing about your life, knowing about your, you know, your family history, um, knowing, a, knowing a little bit about um, your child's father, what would, what would that world look like if you could create this utopia? Um, I thought that question is funny to me because um, when I think about my values as a parent, my core values as a parent, um, which are, I, well, let me see if I remember them. I used to be able to say them off the top of my head, but it's to educate, cultivate, um, discipline, I have five of them. Um, Let me tell you something. Danny got a mission statement for a college. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. ahead. (laughs) Um, I wanted to just set my core values. Because once your core values are set, decisions, there are no difficult decisions to make. Um, You know, not to say they're easy to make, but the actual decision is not difficult because you're going to do what falls in line with those values. So, for instance... My value was to educate him. So I'm, I'm not conflicted when it comes to his school, what school he needs to go to. Um, mm-hmm. I need to figure out the, the logistics of how am I going to make it happen, but this is the school he's going to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he's blessed to be in an amazing school, Dom. He, he should not be in this school. This school was pre-K for years, and it only served 18 families. It was very, very um, hard to eat. Nobody even knew about it. <laughs> I just so happened wow. to find out about it. And we had missed the window. He was already in kindergarten. And then the school, out of nowhere, decided to expand and add a kindergarten class. And Devin was a part of their first kindergarten class. And they're adding a grade every year. And so he's in the first grade now with this school that has teachers from only the best schools and institutions in Connecticut. And they're all a part of this. And the tuition should be thousands and thousands and thousands. And it's literally a few hundred. Wow. That's, um, come on, Jesus. Come on, And God. that's co-parenting with the Holy Spirit, knowing what my values were and saying, you know, God, please, like, show me what to do and make the way. And he, he totally did. And his first year of tuition was, pay, I didn't even have to pay his first year of tuition thanks wow. to his beautiful co-parents. So, um, so when I, I say that to say that when I think about his school, I think about our church, how much they love him. I, I'm very, you know, I'm, I've always been very involved in church and mm-hmm. To be in a church now where I know if Devin's with me, he'll have like guys playing with him and he'll hear the words, I love you like 10 times from just 
volunteers walking by. He's just so affirmed. He's so loved. He's well taught, Mm. even at the church. And so when I think about school, I think about church and I think about our settings. It really is a bit of a utopia for us. Mm. I think the only thing that would be lacking is that father, that father figure. But he has that too, um, you know, at our church. Um, Plenty of examples of, of men that love him. But obviously, like, he knows he has a father and you know, that relationship is still not fully mended. And so that would be the only thing I would really add that and just more travel. I want to put my baby on the plane and see the world, but Mm -hmm. doing pretty Mm -hmm. well. Yeah. So the, so pretty much you have, you have the blessing to have this utopia that many parents envision and want to create, but you've been able to create it, which is such a blessing. And so Mm -hmm. my question, my follow-up question to that would be, because you said, you know, you would want um, a father figure or father presence in the household. Do you think it is possible to raise a healthy young black boy with a healthy view of black men um, and uh, a family unit without a male presence in the house? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I think that was um, being a young single mom. Sometimes we think that we have to get married to get this fairy tale ending for ourselves, um, especially if you're in the church. It's just like that is the goal. Your end goal is to get the ring, be married. And I've seen too many women do this. They they mm. marry wrong, <laughs> very Woof. wrong. Woof. Just for that's the appearance another, that's another of yeah, yeah. <laughs> just for the appearance of a fairy tale. And I think we're all because you wear that scarlet letter especially, you know, being in the church and, and you go through the shame of being pregnant and not, not being married. You look to be married to try to bring some type of resolve to that. And I've learned like that doesn't have to be the case. It, it really is not the case. That's not the angle for us. Um, I do desire to be married, but it's no longer just for Devin. Like mm-hmm. it's not because I feel like Devin won't be okay without a male in the household. And I, again, that's a lot of work. I, one of my favorite phrases is sit with it. And some things women don't want to sit with because it exposes a lot of pain and things that we don't want to confront. But I did a lot of sitting with a lot of things that the Lord exposed. And so I'm, I'm in a healthier mm. space. Not a perfect space, obviously. I, I like to just give a full picture. I don't want them to think like, oh, like, yeah, I'm good. It's just being my son and I don't have a desire for this or that. No, there's still a desire to be married, but it's, it's not rooted in... Uh, the things that it was before as far as thinking that getting married is going to redeem me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a, a huge difference. And it's very important to make sure the intention behind your desire to get married is is healthy. Woo, you just said a, a word right there. I know many um, women, uh, young women now, but young women, teenage moms that I grew up with in church that looked forward to getting married or rushed into marriages and rushed into relationships because they thought marriage would be, they it would redeem them. It would, it would redeem them from this scarlet letter from, and you know, the black church, especially the black Pentecostal or apostolic church. When you get pregnant and you're not married, they stand you up in front of the church. You had to apologize to the church community. <laughs> you had to apologize to the pastor you, it was, Isn't it, it was like this 2019 and that's still happening to this woo, day? <laughs> it still happens. You, it was like the woman caught in the act of adultery. Like they drug you to the front of the church and you had to repent. But the father, mm-hmm. he was nowhere to be found. He could have been on the drums. Oh, okay. Sleep. <laughs> 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 he 
He could have been in the drum sleep while you up there repenting and crying. And it's like, and it's so sad to to see how the church, which is mostly made up of women, mm-hmm. did these traumatic, awful things to to women that got pregnant and weren't married. When you get pregnant and you're not married, you wear this scarlet letter. Um, mm-hmm. And even in like in high school, like a lot of my friends got pregnant in high school, and mm-hmm. they bore this this letter. And I remember one of my English teachers saying in ninth grade. It's so sad that I have to wish my students happy Mother's Day. And it was mm-hmm. like, wow, that's terrible that you would think that. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that is awful. And I, my question, I guess, would be, why do you think society is so hard on single moms? Like, as I said before, dad don't get that much smoke. Mm-hmm. Dad could be in church on the drum sleep while you're in front of the church crying and repenting. Dad could be somewhere walking around the school building while teachers while teachers are saying, it's a shame I have to wish you a happy Mother's Day when you're 16 years old. Why do you think society is just so hard and adamant on single moms? Well, I think that's a loaded question. Um, I mean, particularly when it comes to young mothers, I think that society has this view of this is how you're supposed to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you go outside of that mold, then they think they have a right to judge you for not doing things the way they wanted you to do it. But Mm -hmm. if you look at where we are in society now, I mean, society is going to tell you who you can love. They're going to tell you, um, you know, I think before, even like when you graduated college, go to college, work for a job for however many years, get the gold watch and retire. And Mm -hmm. a are breaking the mold now and saying, you know what? I choose not to go that route. There's there's something quicker. There's something better. There's something more fulfilling. And you have some people that idolize um, being entrepreneurs, but some people just think, no, how are you going to be an entrepreneur? How are you going to be a blogger? Like, that's not a real job, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think the same type of... Um, uh, when they're looking down on us, the same type of um, co- condemnation that we feel from them as single moms, it's the same type of condemnation that stay-at-home moms feel. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. know, that you're not really working. Like, what are you doing? Like, you don't know what it is to, to go to work in the morning and commute and do all this stuff. And now it takes studies to say, hey, they're actually doing what you're doing and then some, the amount of energy right. they're putting out. And it's just like, why do we have to wait till somebody actually got a study completed for you to respect my choice, uh, or mm. for, to, for to have some respect for my choice. Um, I think that when it comes back to going back to young mothers, um, I think that, or just single moms in general, because now I'm 29. Right. I was, You're not I, a young mother no more. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting up there. And mm. I think that there's still, I mean, when I was recruiting, sis, I remember having moments when I would, um, I would, or even I was interviewing, hiding my, my finger, my, my, wedding band, my wedding mm. finger, um, to, 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 if they knew that I had a son, um, I didn't want to show my hand cause I didn't want them to also know that I was married because I had received glances and little comments before that mm. let me know that it just switched. And now you're looking at me differently. Wow. And I think that's really sad. Like even when I'm 30 next year, it'll still be the same. I think people still look at, um, a single mom, you know, they'll look at me and Devin and say, wow, they're incomplete. Um, and that's unfortunate. I think that society is has been that way. Um, but I think that we are progressing. This might be the, you know, I'm an optimist. So it may be the optimist 
But I think we are progressing to a point where they realize, like, listen, people are going to walk their own path and there's really not much that you can do about it. Um, and I, I don't know. I like to have healthy conversations that even if that does happen, um, where you see like somebody is being harsh on you or you can feel that energy. I think I've learned in this past year to have a conversation. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing because I just recently had a conversation with my grandmother because um, she had noticed a behavior that Devin was showing that she didn't like. She said, Devin talks too much. And I said, oh, does he? <laughs> talks too much and you know she's from that school of children just need to be quiet only speak when you're spoken to which (laughs) let's not even go to the slavery roots of that but yeah um that's what she felt and so i said oh well did you did you say something to him and we just had a a a healthy dialogue where i said you know what if he says something inappropriately or he's talking excessively i will do it but i'm not with him all of the time sometimes he's with grandma sometimes Mm -hmm. he's around grandma and i gave her that permission and that freedom feel free to check him because it takes a village. Um, and I think that once I gave her that um, authority, I think she felt better. I'm not sure what the original intention was, but I think the way the conversation went, we left off in a place of, okay, um, I'm, she said I'm a part of her village and mm-hmm. that helped. And I think that um, if you see someone who's judgmental or whatever, I think it'd be helpful to have that dialogue and say, you know, instead of judging me, do you have any resources to help me? I mean, right. do you have any uh, advice to give me? Um, you know, judging at this point doesn't help either one of us, but let's right. have a, a conversation and see um, what this can build into. And so that's, that would be my advice for that. But I hope that society will get to a point and realize not every mom who's single is that way by choice. Right, right. Uh, it, you could see a mom on the bus with two children. You don't know she's a widow. Right. You, don't, you don't know anything. Right. You have no idea. And that's people's perceptions um, Mm -hmm. of what, you know, what they believe life should look like. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just they try to put that on other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just don't think that's of course, you know, I don't think that's fair. But I do believe that and I'm optimistic about this as well, um, that our society is changing. Um, And number one is black people. We should never be yelling about what a family should look like because, I mean, we adopt our cousins and raise them as our siblings. Mm -hmm. Um, We got (laughs) uncles that we call dad. Our families have always been blended. Our families have always been mixed up. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is a byproduct of slavery. But it's just it's always stunning to me that um, you can be, you know, you'll hear somebody talk about how much they love their mother and how their mother sacrificed and did all this stuff for them. But then the same breath, they'll down talk a single mom and their mother was a single mom. And mm-hmm. so I just, I just hope that we are getting to the place where, you know, we'll just be a part of each other's villages, as yeah. you said. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm definitely, you know, we're, we're strong. I mean, Single moms get just the other day. I couldn't believe I had just did so much stuff before 8 a.m. And that's just on a regular, though. For the most part, we're up and we're out and we're doing so much before the kids even hit the ground running and before other people hit the ground running. And I think that we don't want any um, sympathy or anything like that. You know, in fact, I think about when I um, first joined my church and I sat down with my pastor to just tell him about some life woes. And he pointed out, you have a money management problem. Um, mm-hmm. I just say, oh, you're a single mom. Let me go to the church and see if we can 
pay something for you or, you know, give money or something like that. He could have even went in his own pocket and said, here's a hundred dollars or something like that. But he said, no, stop being ghetto and get a budget. He said, let's not be like our, our, the ones who came before us. So let's be legacy minded. Let's, if he just shared with me his desires for his children and what he wanted to build for them. And I caught a whole new vision. Like, wow, like I want to build something for Devin too. And it just kind of put me in a different frame of mind. So even if you can offer resources, because right. beyond that, the church offered a financial class that I took and he even pulled out his budget. And so from there, um, you know, life has been very different because I was given the tools to succeed. So I don't need a right. handout. I don't need your sympathy. Even if I just have your resources and your support um, rather than your judgment, that would be helpful also. Saints, what I tell y'all? Didn't I tell y'all she was dope? Saints, I told y'all she was amazing. And if you want to know more about this amazing woman and the work that she does, follow her on Instagram at Danny Crystal and on Facebook under the same name, Danny Crystal. Well, Saints, I hope y'all enjoyed episode three. Hope y'all come back for episode four. Love y'all, Saints. Until next time. Good morning, Saints.